Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. A couple months ago in February, I reported that Global News had disappeared a documentary about the billionaire Koch brothers right before it was supposed to air on 16 by 9, their national investigative news magazine show. They had promoted it, they had tweeted about it, they published an article about this documentary, and then everything vanished. The doc never aired. Now, Global News executive Ron Waxman told me that this was no big deal. There's no censorship, no suppression. The doc just wasn't ready yet, wasn't up to snuff. It lacked balance, and it would be fixed up. Probably it would air next season. But that's not going to happen. What I've since learned is that shortly after they pulled the Coke Connection documentary from the air, Global News fired the film's director veteran investigative reporter Bruce Livesey, and they canceled two other documentaries they had commissioned from him. Canadians will never see his report on Charles and David Koch and their impact on the Canadian oil sands and their influence on Canadian politics. Bruce Livesey, 
The journalist whose documentary Global News killed before they fired him will be here in a moment to tell you why. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jennifer Parent, Judy Rebick, James Braithwaite, Thomas Ryan, Jan Wong, Christopher Redmond, Justin, Kevin Gajmarak, Yvonne Dean, and Joseph Planta. Joseph, why did you decide to be awesome? Because it beats collecting stamps. And because um, in its short life, Canada Land has added to the discussion of uh, the media. It's gotten a lot of uh, us consumers of media a little more curious, a little more interested in about how it all works. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is also brought to you by CJFE. I have told you before about how Canadian Journalists for Free Expression is this tiny, nimble organization that gives grants to journalists in distress around the world And I've told you about how they actually got a piece of legislation killed that would have crippled investigative journalism at the CBC. It would have forced CBC journalists to reveal their sources. And CJFE stopped that bill. What I haven't told you about yet is how they also fight for everyone's free expression, not just journalists. Here's Tom, the guy who runs CJFE. What we really do, the core of our work every day, is fighting for Canadians' rights to free expression, to privacy online because of of the digital surveillance that's going on, um, to access to information because the government, there's this horrible, pervasive culture of secrecy and just almost like a a hatred for democratic institutions coming from our government right now. And we're doing everything we can to publicize those issues, to make Canadians aware of them and and to show that free expression is really under threat in Canada. I I don't know if there's been a time in Canadian history, you know, or at least since the charter has been created that we've had 
more of a struggle for this. Guys, I volunteer for CGFE. I am a member. You should become a member too. There's currently a discount on membership, by the way. Go to cjfe.org, click become a member and find out about the perks and the pub nights with journalists and the annual review that they publish, all of which you will get when you join me and become a member. Do it. First of all, prior to the story being pulled, there was never any question raised with me about the quality of the journalism, about the facts, or about the balance. And since then, since they pulled it, they have also been very unspecific. They've never pointed to a fact that was wrong. So there was never a conversation of, we think this is wrong, or we think this is unbalanced. What is your response? There was no- nothing like that. Mm-hmm. It was also signed off by their, their libel lawyer, who is on the conservative side of libel lawyers. He's, he's pretty nitpicky, so... At no point prior to the fateful day they pulled it down were there any issues about balance or any questions about the work I had done. Okay, so perhaps it wasn't you. It wasn't the, the quality of your journalism. Perhaps it was your subject matter. And, I, you know, I think that the Koch brothers are known. They're on the list of, of, of hot potatoes, of uh, tricky subjects. Can, can, Bruce, can you give us some background on, on the Koch brothers and, and why you wanted to make a documentary about them in the first place? So long before the Koch story came up, I had done a number of stories for them. They were happy with my work. Now, the Koch idea had come about because anyone who's been sort of paying attention knows that the Koch brothers are arguably the most powerful force in American politics. They are two of the richest men in the world. They're, I think, listed number seventh among the, the top billionaires in the world, I think number three in American billionaires. Their combined wealth is, is close to $100 billion U.S., and that's fine, but what, what they use their money is to influence the political system of the United States to an extraordinary, unprecedented degree. Mm-hmm. The problem is that they are backing the Republican Party who wants the Keystone XL p- pipeline built. And the Keystone pipeline connects Alberta to the Gulf of Mexico and is an enormous contentious, a contentious issue for economic and environmental reasons. The other aspect with the Koch brothers is they happen to own 1.1 million, at least 1.1 million acres of the leases in the oil sands. They have had a long presence in Canada going back to the 1960s. They have arguably made the foundations of their wealth were in refining and transporting Canadian oil from Alberta. So their wealth, much of their wealth, um, and much of their future wealth is wrapped up in Canada. Mm-hmm. So. They have become a hot political issue in the states. There are ties to the Keystone Pipeline. The other aspect of it is that they have funded climate denial groups, and they have been behind creating doubt about climate change. So to me, this was a no-brainer of a story to do for Global. Well, def- I mean, I'm vaguely aware of the Koch brothers because they get discussed a lot in the states. And yet here in Canada, I can't recall anybody taking a look at them especially in the context of their interest in the oil sands. So, I mean, that, that does sound like... No, it I sounds mean, like a good there, story, there Bruce. There has been extraordinarily little coverage. The yeah. Toronto Star a couple of years ago did something, and, and that was almost it. In Canada, the Canadian media, for all intents and purposes, had ignored this issue. These are enormously important issues. To the credit of, of 16 by 9 and their executive producer, they agreed to do it, and they agreed to fund it. That was a very brave thing for them to do, but it was not an easy story to do either. How so? 
one of the problems we faced was getting people to talk to us mm-hmm. on camera. You can't do TV without people coming on. Mm-hmm. Now, the Koch brothers and the Koch Industries, their company, are notorious in that they never talk to the media, almost never talk to the media. Like, they just do not talk to the media. There's a private company, and they keep it private for good reason. But they also have a history of attacking the media when the media do do exposés, um, and they've attacked very prominent journalists in the United States. So uh, we approached Coke and, you know, very politely and said this is we'd want to do a story about their interest in Canada. Uh, we sent them extensive questions. We sourced all of the questions, you know, which is, which mm-hmm. is where it comes from. I sent not once but twice, and we never heard a peep from them. They never responded to the questions. So that was problem A, is that, is that Coke would not talk about Coke, the second problem was that because the Koch's Canadian involvement is very unknown, it's not being publicized, and Americans don't generally care about Canada, trying to find people who actually knew about the connection between the Kochs and Canada was also difficult. And those who did know generally came from the environmental movement because they're the ones who have spent time looking at the Kochs because the Kochs have been their bête noire. So the reality is, is that we ended up having to interview people from the environmental movement because they're the only ones who seem to know much about them. The other problem is that journalists, uh, there were a couple of journalists who had written about the Kochs who, who declined. And there are a lot of people, like, no, we could get, we hired a very experienced journalist uh, who had worked uh, for NPR, and she tried to get people in Washington, Democrats, yeah. people from the... The DCCC, the Democratic uh, Committee, what's it called? The Democratic Committee, to come on to talk about the Cokes because the Cokes had become a big issue during the last year's midterms. They all refused. Mm-hmm. So you know we were facing a problem with getting difficult getting people to come on, and then those who knew about the Cokes tended understandably to be from the environmental movement. So when Ron Waxman says that your documentary lacked balance and fairness. I'm assuming that what he meant was, oh, it's just a bunch of lunatic environmentalists and you're not getting the other side of the story. Well, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't know what Ron means by that, but, but possibly... He hasn't said Yeah, yet, right? but possibly that's, that was his concern. Now, the problem we faced is like, let's say, for example, on climate change, you know, 99.8% of scientists say that climate change is occurring and it's and man-made sources, mm-hmm. right? The Koch brothers don't believe that or they think, Climate change is a good thing, mm-hmm. you know. So are we then supposed to go find the one scientist to, to you know, bring them on and, and say that climate change is not occurring? <laughs> For, and, because and, and, the Koch yeah. brothers will not say that, yeah. you know, on, on publicly. You've got to represent them. They won't – well, you've got two issues there. You know, one, which is – phony equivalency, which is setting up a, a false balance for the sake of saying it's balanced. And the other, the other issue is finding a proxy for the Kochs because they won't give you comment. The, the, the real issue here is that if we, in journalism, in our interest to get a balanced story, come to the conclusion that the target of critical journalism has the power to 
basically kill a story by not participating, right? Like if you are doing critical work about somebody and they simply don't respond to you whatsoever, well, that will become the default position of everybody facing critical journalism that we don't talk about it if they won't talk about themselves because the story is then not quote unquote balanced. Well, I mean, but investigative journalism, you face that all the time. I mean, people don't want to talk about their, I mean, I'm just doing a story now about a mining company out in BC and they, they refuse to talk, but that, you know, we did the story. Yeah. Um, the the issue then, and this is where you know, are the facts you're presenting true, and are they in context, and are they fair, and is it libelous? Well, let's and talk then, about that for a second, Bruce, because um, no one's seen your documentary. I haven't seen your documentary, but I did read this article that Global posted by you, which read like something of a summary, and then they they disappeared it off the internet, and I found it through Google Cash, but. I read this kind of lengthy description of the Coke connection of your documentary and it didn't contain any kind of new claim or accusation about the Cokes. It, it, it almost read to me like a primer on who these guys are and, you know, much like what you described earlier, what their history is in Canada, what their influence is like on American politics. I think you were upfront in the piece that, you know, there's really not so much money going into Canadian politics, but they do, what is it, the Fraser Institute they, they put some money into? Yeah. It just seemed like kind of like introducing the Koch brothers and here's who they are and how they might affect your world. Was there something in the documentary itself that went beyond that? Was there a, like a jacuse or an expose? Was there something in it that might have been libelous that, you know, got global – no, I mean, there, there was nothing libelous in it. There was, look, TV is a much more powerful medium than print. You know, these stories are edited in a, a way, obviously, to be most appealing, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the print version versus the TV version, while materially they were similar or the same, often the same quotes, the effect of the TV one would have been much stronger. Well, you play the spooky music, I guess, as they do in these news magazine yeah, shows. Yeah, it's a visual medium. Yeah. So, you know, the power of the visual is and uh, is much more powerful than print. What goes into one of these pieces and how irregular it is for it to be pulled so close to broadcast? I, I, I've been told by someone who worked there for a long time that, that this was, they've never pulled a story this, or, you know, I mean, stories get pulled, but for a whole bunch of reasons. They're not ready. They're, you know, this was the first time it had been pulled this close to broadcast after the story was signed, sealed, and delivered and, and all ready to go. Okay, well, let's talk about what happened next because, you know, I asked Ron for comment and he said, well, it's just not ready. And that's what he told you. And I guess your thought was, well, okay, well, let's, let's get it up to snuff and then, and then broadcast it. But that, is that going to happen? No, because they... They fired me. Like I was, you know, absolutely happy to deal with any questions they had and, and fix the story in a way that they felt appropriate. I mean, look, this happens in journalism. Is they want changes and you make the changes. You know, yeah. As long as it doesn't completely turn the story completely differently. I mean, but, you know, they, they, there was never any suggestion of that. The change that occurred was that the fact that they pulled down the story got public. Yeah. And then when that occurred, uh, conceivably, they got embarrassed and then felt that, that uh, I had to go. And so the story is dead now because it's, it's hard for them to do a story that I produce without me participating in it. After Canada Land reported and publicized this, and by the way, this was something that we got because somebody out there noticed it because they had been promoting it 
on Twitter and they had an article up on their website and they had been teasing it out and promoting this documentary and then it just didn't happen and then the article disappeared. So somebody noticed and said, hey, Canada Land, have a look at this. And based on that, we reported on this. And after we reported on it, you're saying they fired you. Yes, the day after. Is that why they fired you? Did, like, what, what, what did they tell you? What, what was the reason given? Well, the reason given was that they can't trust me. Uh-huh. Because you called me, and we, pro- we spoke very briefly off the record, and then I relayed that conversation immediately to them. And on the basis of, of that, they feel they can't trust me. I would not have revealed in this conversation that we spoke off the record, but you bring it up now. And I can say that there was nothing that you told me in that off-the-record off conversation that I reported or that I felt needed to be reported. And I spoke to you because I wanted to find out what you were going to do and also tell you that if you did the story, I'm basically in deep trouble because they're going to blame me. Yeah, I remember you saying that. I, I said, well, why is, you know, I, I got you on the phone and we, we spoke off the record. I said, why is the documentary disappeared? And you said, well, whatever the real reason is, the way that this always goes is they blame the journalist. And sure enough, when I called up Ron, he said, yep, journalist's work is not up to snuff. I wanted to find out what you were up to so I could tell them so they could be prepared. Mm-hmm. And I did. I told them immediately what you, that we'd had, we had spoken about. And I told them the details of what we spoke about off the record. And they have used that as the excuse to get rid of me. They couldn't very well fire you for doing a documentary on the Koch brothers that they got scared about. And by their own description of what was journalistically problematic, it just needed a bit more work. It'd be hard to fire you and, and take a loss on the entire expense of the documentary. So they fired you for talking to me, which resulted in, it didn't hurt them at all. I mean, we spoke for like three minutes and it resulted, they're, they're, you didn't tell me anything. Do you think they were looking for an excuse to fire you? In my opinion, yes. I have no proof to that fact. The sense was that, that the content of the story, what the story said and what it was about was what alarmed someone in global. And I don't know how far up and I don't know who. We should say that. Like, we don't know. Did a phone ring in Ron's office from the Koch brothers themselves? No, or I did, or did, Which seems pretty, that seems pretty crazy. What he told us when I said, well, who made the decision? He made it clear that he made the final decision. And that, and that was when he read your web article that he hadn't necessarily even seen the piece up until, I mean, and there were, there were managers beneath him who were very involved in the piece and who signed off on it. So the last minute he read the piece and by his account, there was no, you know, head office or from the Kochs. It was just his decision, which does not mean that it wasn't motivated by fear and cowardice, uh, but his position is that it was his decision. And, and we don't know otherwise. And I don't know otherwise. I yeah. don't, I don't uh, I'm not privy to those sorts of conversations. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, let's put it be very clear. If this had been a story, a puff piece on Justin Bieber or Celine Dion or, you know, some frivolous story, mm-hmm. A, would they have pulled it down and B, would they have fired me? Chances, no. The only thing you have to go on is that the reason... This was pulled down was because it alarmed someone. Mm-hmm. The reason you wrote about it was because the Koch brothers are a big deal, and everybody understands that. Yeah, and I cover the Canadian media and what you can say and what you can't say. And you know, I also know that Global is a a, a Western oriented business, and without 
you know, I, again, I do not think that there were, uh, you know, who knows, but I don't think there were any kind of communications between the Cokes or, but, but no, I don't but, think but, so either. But the global is a part of Western Canada, and there are a lot of people at Global who might not have appreciated this story. Uh, one would presume so, yeah. They fired you, and my understanding is that you had some other stuff in the works with them. Yes, I, I had uh, one story that was in uh, editing and one that we were in the research stage. Yeah. And those stories were also obviously killed. Even the excuse is problematic because the assumption there is that when a news organization hires a freelancer, that freelancer is sort of entering into some sort of omerta whereby if a journalist calls them up and asks them about something like a doc that disappeared from the airwaves, they are to say absolutely nothing. Right. We are in the business of enlightening the public and being as transparent as possible assuming that there was nothing explicit in your contract with them that prevented you from talking to me? I did not have a written contract with them. I never was given privy or shown any... um, Global apparently has some sort of standards and practices document or book or something. It was never shown to me. Journalists, including myself, we don't air our dirty laundry. And trust me... (laughs) But you didn't. No, I didn't. And, And Like you took the call. You know, I took the call, and I, in fact, thought you were calling about something else, because if you recall, I tried to interest you in a libel issue unrelated to global. Well, we're going to talk about that, too. So, so this was, this would actually, when, when you called, I thought, oh, he's, ta- he's finally calling me back uh-huh. uh, about that issue. And, and then it was when you said, do you know something about the code connection that I thought, oh, shit. And, and my heart sank, because I knew this was, this was not good. Um, so, no, I mean, we, we don't air our dirty laundry and and for good reason at times because it doesn't help your career. And the reason people will say, well, why am I talking now? And the reason is, is because they've continued to treat me badly since they terminated me. And and this issue of, of the killing of this story, which Canadians will never see, is not unimportant. Yeah. This is, if this was a story... You know, because the other part of the story, which which we haven't got into, the second half of the story dealt with how the Harper government has been going after the environmental movement on behalf of the oil patch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've been auditing environmental groups. They've been spying on them. You know, CSIS and the RCMP and the CSC are spying on them and then passing that information onto the oil industry, onto the oil companies directly. And, you know, the Kochs are funding the Fraser Institute, which is a prominent right-wing think tank in Canada that gets its editorials in our newspapers and and in our magazines. The information in this documentary was not unimportant to our country, our democracy, our economy, how political power is used in North America. And that's the reason we did the story. And it'll never be seen now by Canadians. Bruce, I mean, it's almost like it's redundant for you to be making this case that this is a newsworthy story. I mean, no one's saying otherwise. Of course it's newsworthy. I mean, Global News is smart enough not to argue otherwise. They're making this about you. It's not that they're afraid of the Koch brothers. It's not that they're afraid of the higher-ups at Global News or, or, or at Shaw out west. It's, it's you. They've made this about you. You didn't do your job properly. So let's talk about you. Can you provide a little bit of background uh, about your bio, your career as an investigative journalist? Sure. I mean, I've been a journalist for over 30 years. I've written for over 30 newspapers and magazines in this country and also in the United States. 
um, including the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, the Gazette, the Christian Science Monitor, the Walrus, the Financial Post, the Financial Post Magazine. I also had an extensive history in television. I started at the Fifth Estate in 2001. I was at the Fifth Estate for six years. And then briefly was on the investigative unit at the CBC. And I've worked with on co-productions with PBS Frontline and the New York Times. I worked with Lowell Bergman, who's you know famous for when he was at 60 Minutes, and he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. You know, I wrote a best-selling book on financial fraud that was published by Random House. So I have a lot of experience in investigative journalists. I've never been successfully sued. I've never spent a day in discovery in a libel lawsuit. I've never had to pull down my work. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm not just someone out of J school. I know what I'm doing, and I'm very good at it. People in, in the industry know very well who you are, but I think it's worth uh, – and, you know, I apologize for making you go through that, but I'm glad you did just so people have an idea of what that actually means when a manager in the news business in Canada takes a shot at you like that uh, and, and takes no responsibility for what he published. Well, and I don't think he knew. Yeah. I don't think he – I had never – I think had one – Maybe met Ron once briefly before, but uh, he didn't know me, and and uh, but the executive producer of the show did. Yeah, and that's why she she was using me. You have been sued, though. In fact, you're currently being sued by Conrad Black. Can you tell me a bit about that? Well, he got out of jail in 2012, and 45 days later, he he sued me and Random House and their editors, and uh, for a book you wrote about him. For a book, no, no, a book I wrote about financial fraud on Bay Street called Thieves of Bay Street, he is part of the book. Uh-huh. He was not happy that he was in, in my book. So he comes out, he sues us. The suit is, this is almost three years later, is not even at the discovery stage. I haven't had, there has not been really any news about it or anything active for almost a year. And I don't know whether it's gone dormant or what. But we have not backed down in anything we've said in the book. The book was thoroughly vetted uh, by one of the best libel lawyers. We made changes prior to the book uh, being published that, that, you know, to deal with concerns about libel and black because we knew he was litigious. And, you know, Random House has spent a lot of money to their tremendous credit to defend this book. As I understand it, one of his complaints is about you quoting court testimony? When his company, his own shareholders, began to wonder where all the money was going, because it wasn't going to them, they, they, there was pressure applied on the board of Hollinger uh, International to set up an investigation, their own internal investigation. And that own internal investigation very famously claimed that Black was running a corporate kleptocracy. And that was a, a report that was filed with the SEC and in the Illinois courts. It's a public document. A pu- you can go online and look at it. It's all 560-odd pages. So you quoted a public document. Yeah. And he sued you for libel. Yep. I think that one of the reasons why Random House is, is fighting that, to their credit, is because they can win it. Because that doesn't sound like a legitimate case of libel. Yeah. I mean, I don't I, – I, I, I would be shocked – if we lost it, but I don't think, I mean, personally, Knockwood, I don't think he's ever going to go to trial because, you know, Mr. Black then has to stand on the stand and defend his action. It, be, it becomes a trial as to whether or not he actually is a corporate uh, kleptocrat. 
or or whether in fact he is an upstanding citizen or not. Yeah, and and, and the you know you got to remember that that it, he, he he went to jail for fraud. He has since been the SEC has found you know has has a judgment against him. Uh, he's a the, felon, right? Yeah, I know he is a he is a felon. Yeah. I mean, he was. So he would, have to, he, would, he would have to establish that he had a reputation to be tarnished. Exactly. So that's not going to happen. But in the meantime, he can he can tie up Random House. And, and it's been a tremendous disincentive for Random House or any publishing house to publish a book like that. That's the bigger story here that I really want to put in context here. And and in recent weeks, we've seen a documentary about volunteerism that the CBC commissioned for the last episode of Doc Zone. That was pulled in very similar circumstances, the 11th hour, right before broadcast. Changes were made, which Canada Land has since learned, were dictated by an insurance company to remove uh, the Kielbergers from any kind of critical coverage in this documentary. And then it was broadcast. Another documentary about Scientology that HBO broadcast in the United States was not broadcast here in Canada. We're told it's just a licensing issue. We're always told it's something else. It's about copyright. It's about licensing. In this case, it's about a journalist who didn't provide a, a fair and balanced account. But what it amounts to is there's a lot of stuff that we're not getting to see here. And and I think that, you know, it seems to be falling particularly hard uh, on documentaries, which is a shame because it's sort of part of our, you know, contribution to journalism in Canada. Is that well, we, and it's also, uh, you know, where you can do – I mean, investigative journalism is hard to do in, in you know, 140 characters. Yeah, you need space. Yeah, you need if you're resources. Gonna, if you're going to accuse someone of being a bad guy or a company, you just can't say it in a sentence. You need space. You need resources. You need, you know, you need space meaning media space. You need, you know, be able to 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 make your case. Investigative journalism is expensive and it's risky. It's interesting to me. Your focus seems to be about investigating corporations yes. and and the people who run them. Yes. Is anyone else doing that as, as their like, full-time beat in Canada, to your knowledge? Not in my particular way, probably. There were, or there perhaps still is, a couple of journalists at The Globe and the business section who you know, used to do some of this type of work. Look, it's always been pretty rare. Yeah. The mainstream media depends on advertising from the corporate sector, so they're not exactly overwhelmingly charmed with the idea of potentially criticizing the hand that feeds them. But I've managed to make, especially in recent years, to spend most of my time doing stories that are about companies that are in some ways abusing the public trust. And to my delight, I've had outlets for it. Mm -hmm. But me being terminated from Global, that's one more outlet that's gone. And my outlets for this sort of work are, have, have really shrunk, especially in the mainstream media, has really shrunk. You know, that is alarming because, in my view, a, a corporate power is the most powerful force in our society. People think it's government. Well, no, I mean, government's beholden, in most cases, to corporate power. Mm -hmm. They have enormous impact on every aspect of our lives. And we saw, and this is why I wrote the book, you know, with the credit crisis and the recession that we went into, when unchecked financial sector power can lead to global recession of, a, of an immense scale and with extraordinary devastating effects, which we're still living with. So, you know, these are not, it's the same with climate change and the oil sands and all that. I mean, you know, we are clearly not devoting enough attention to the consequences of digging up all this oil and burning it. I mean, like the 2014 was the hottest year on record. The 10 hottest years on record, you know, have all occurred since 1998. 
we dug up more oil, but yet burned more oil last year than we ever have in history. So, you know, I mean, California is going through a four-year drought. They're having water shortages. You know, it's going to be soon affecting our food supply. These are not minor issues, and yet our economy in Canada has become dependent on oil, mm-hmm. on the very thing that could be leading to catastrophic environmental problems. And we're not having a discussion about it, and we're not, you know, at least not in the mainstream media to any great extent. With Global off your list of possible outlets that will both fund and publish your work, I mean, I would love to publish your investigations. I just can't afford to finance them. I'm sure the TAI or now, I'm sure there's a lot of rabble would love to publish your work, but actually doing the work, who else can you go to? Well, you know, it's like... <laughs> As I said, I still do stuff for the Globe and Mail's report on Business Magazine. But these investigations, the Koch brothers and the other ones that you were working on with Global, like there's three news magazine shows. There's The Fifth Estate, there's 16 by 9, and there's W5. Yeah, W5 is being cut the way down. And, and, and it's not – their nature is not to do corporate – anti-corporate stuff or to criticize corporations. But they lost, I think, forty percent of their budget. They they they've been cut, you know, down to like three producers. Yeah, you know, so they're, you know, the fifth estates had cuts, and the CBC, as we know, is an as an entity has had relentless cuts. It is a target of the Tory government. So the Harper government appointed he's run the place. Internally, I would suspect that the CBC they're not enthused about going after the Koch brothers or the oil sands or anything like that. So, yeah, to answer your question, it's, it's not looking good for outlets for this sort of work. Listen, I want to thank you for coming here. There are a number of people who have lost their jobs as a result of journalism that I've done and that we've done here at Canada Land. This is the case that I feel bad about. <laughs> I don't know that I would have done anything differently, but the outcome of it was uh, atrocious. Well, I can't fault you because you, 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 you did a story that you thought was legitimate. And, and you know, uh, look, I've done stories and gotten people fired. So I can't exactly complain that, that the same thing happened to me. Look, in the end, uh, you didn't pull down the story. They did. And that was what started all this. And then firing me was just possibly a convenient way to ensure the whole thing goes away. Well, let's see what we can do about that. Quick update to this story. After interviewing Bruce, I followed up with Ron Waxman to ask him about this. I asked him why he fired Bruce, if in fact he fired Bruce for speaking to me, as Bruce says. I never heard back from him, but I did hear back from corporate communications at Global News, and they said, quote, the claims you asked about are completely unfounded. We did what any responsible journalists would do after reviewing content that didn't meet our standards for balance. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown, and the website is canadalandshow.com. The crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. If you like this show, support it.